Hi everyone, this is Tom, the pastor behind Pastor Unlikely, and welcome to episode number one of the Pastor Unlikely podcast, Simple Discipleship. The purpose of this podcast is, just like the name says, Simple Discipleship. We are going to seek to pass on the lessons learned from on-fire men and women of, of God who are out there working to expand the kingdom of God and to grow in their own faith. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, tells the Corinthians to follow him as he follows Christ, or imitate him as he imitates Christ. The Greek word is the one from which we get the word mimic. So, if they are walking after Jesus, they're being helped in that process by watching what Paul does on a day-to-day basis. In our culture, it gets harder to do that with us being spread out over greater distances and working different jobs and busy. So what we're going to try to do with this podcast is provide a shortcut and a look into the lives of men and women who are working hard for Jesus, working hard for Jesus and to grow in their faith. Talk to them so that they can pass on what Jesus is teaching them, what they've learned over the years, and what they apply to their own lives. Hopefully allowing us to soak up the work of Jesus in their lives through this podcast. Our guest today is Jason Meyerson. Jason is a pastor of Calvary Chapel Morning Light in Cockeysville, Maryland. He is also a chiropractor. Jason comes from an interesting background. He grew up in a Jewish household in Baltimore, and he did did not really know that much about his own faith. He was sure that Jesus was not for him. Jason and I talk about how all that changed and his path from bar mitzvah to teaching about Jesus Christ. We also discuss some of the challenges when trying to reach those of the Jewish faith. Stay tuned after the show for Jason's contact information, as well as some show notes. I hope you enjoy episode number one of the Pastor Unlikely podcast. Tell the listeners a little bit about about your background. I'm a local Baltimore area person. Basically, was raised in Righteous Town, born in Baltimore, and uh, my family's Jewish. You know, uh, so I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. Was bar mitzvahed, you know, went to synagogue, celebrate all the holidays. Not super religious family, but uh, you know, follow the traditions. And can I interrupt you? you? Jewish, you were a Jewish believer, but your family grew up just Jewish, not right. Jewish, my family's not Jewish believers. Christians, right? Okay, and what? what so you grew up in a and. Kind of typical Jewish home in, in, sure, in Baltimore. I mean, right. Yeah, in Baltimore. Um, so my family didn't keep kosher, but we went to a modern Orthodox shul, which just meant that um, it wasn't a super, super strict kind of place. But, you know, went to synagogue for the holidays, and then when you get close to being bar mitzvah, you, you start going to synagogue more often. Um, and so, you know, those things were important. It's, um, you know, sometimes, in a way, it's like, uh, what do they call it? Christmas and Easter Christians, you yeah. know. So, so I mean, I think maybe it was a little bit more than that, um, but it, that kind of a um, you could call it typical in a way in, in the Baltimore area. Did you do Hebrew school and all that? Yep, went to Did Hebrew you, school. It was bar mitzvah. Any expectation that you become a believer in Christ? Never. No, <laughs> no interest is, would be an understatement. So what what changed? How, how did your journey to Jesus begin? I, I literally got a phone call from a someone involved with a ministry, Jews for Jesus. And at the time, I was in uh, chiropractic college in California. You know, I believed in God, and 
but I had stopped going to anything like organized religion, didn't really believe in it. And, you know, celebrate the holidays with my family, but didn't really think it was important. And I was a very argumentative person. I, I like to argue. I almost didn't care sometimes what side I was on, just enjoyed the <laughs> argument, argumentation process. And so this weird call comes, you know, and the joke is... <laughs> you're, you're talking <laughs> a Jewish guy and a lawyer are having right. a conversation. We understand yeah, you know argument. I mean? Yeah, so it was great. And uh, the joke is if uh, Jews for Jesus calls, who's going to call next? Vegetarians for meat? You know, I mean, people wonder, like, what in Jews for Jesus? Uh, and I knew enough being Jewish that Jesus wasn't for me. And, and that was, you know, more or less my understanding. But they wanted what, to talk. What, what do you mean by that? Just, That's a modern, I would say most modern Jewish people today would say, look, it's fine, Gentiles, believe whatever you want, you know, that's nice, but where I'm Jewish, Jesus isn't for us, it's not for me. We've already dealt with this Jesus issue years ago, and we've decided no. Kind of, kind of culturally inoculated to it? Sure. Um, to him, one, I mean. Yeah, for two reasons, I would say at least. One, that you know, you, you, it's a very much like a lineage of ancestry. And so you're saying my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, all the way back, and all their teachers, all their scholars and sages have dealt with this Jesus issue and said, we don't buy it. And so that's good enough for me. Like I, those people I trust, rely on, and, and felt comfortable with, you know, their, their position. On the other hand, you have what we would call um, anti-Semitism, which gets labeled as Christian anti-Semitism, which I think would be, a, even if not sure that's really a true term, but... In the sense that if you were to ask Jewish people what were the Nazis, they would say the Nazis were Christians. And so when you have a situation where your enemy is, is trying to kill you and destroy you from you know, World War II, um, it's very easy to say, that's not for me. You know, and whatever you think about it, it's fine. But if those are if that's if you're identifying and the many of the Nazis identify themselves as Christians, and you know, who do, people aren't gonna understand all these distinctions at the time. So the point being, that's the enemy. So yeah. these are the perspectives. And there's people like in my family that grew up called Christ killer or, uh, you know, they don't want to walk in front of a church. They might be you know, verbally attacked or things like that. So people experience those things. And uh, that really, you know, that's going to turn people away. Well, yeah, I, I get it. it growing up kind of Catholic, going to Catholic schools, I didn't believe in anything, but I knew that I was Catholic and I had to defend Catholicism. Right. So it doesn't really make much sense when you think about it, but... I knew if somebody said Catholics are bad, I had to say, no, they're not. Right. The Pope is awesome. Right. Because you just have that imprinted in you. Sure. It's your family, who you love and care about, and your community, and you just assume this has all been verified or whatever. And it, it sounds like the, the Jewish roots are, are really going back. You know, the lineage are, were really important, too, going all the way back to Moses. Saying right. Father and a strong family line. Right. If you can say, hey, we can trace our, our we go back to, to Moses, we go back to Abraham. That's who we are. You know, what, that's that's a pretty nice thing to be able to stand in and feel comfortable with. But there's this, there's more to the story. And that's what ends up happening. You get this phone call and then they say, we want to meet and talk. Oh, sure. Great. Whatever. It'd be nice. Uh, to me, I'm thinking I just learned their argument. How hard could it be to dismantle? It's obviously not true. Jesus isn't the Messiah. So take about two seconds and then, you know. How did how did this person know to call you? I found out later it was a friend that I used to argue with about religion that was a Christian. And I guess he must have either ran into or heard them speak at a church. or I don't know. And they, he gave my name to them. And I didn't find this out till later. Yeah. And uh, so I had to thank them eventually. But um, so, yeah, some, some person randomly willing to call you. Yeah. So how, how bold <laughs> is this ministry, That's right? Awesome. They just say, hey, would you call my Jewish friend who doesn't know anything about Jesus? 
uh, yeah, sure, we'll give them a call. And they, they just called, and that was it. And the Lord was in it, because I said, oh, sure, I'll meet with you. I think we under, underrate the power of the Holy Spirit, because I, I don't know about you, I've gotten that, those requests before. Not, not actually that bold, but we, will you talk to this person? Right. And I always say yes, but I'm right. like, oh, you know, I, I have no opening. Right. I have no... It's awkward. It feels uncomfortable. Right? They're not inviting you. And yeah. so, yeah, it's very... And you never know how people are going to respond. People could get upset. They could care less. Or maybe they're interested. And you just don't know until you step out and see. But we're not trusting the Holy Spirit to go before us and, right. and do his thing. And he can do it. He does it. So, so you get the call. And I say, all right, I'm happy to meet. We start meeting and, you know, we talk and it's... You know, basically, I, I end up with a, a New Testament, um, and they, you know, ask me, do I know anything about, what do I know, you know, stuff like that. Who is Jesus? I mean, Jews for Jesus is pretty direct uh, that as a ministry, and the main question is, who do you think Jesus is? Well, if you're not a believer, you're, you're probably going to get the answer wrong. Anyway. So you start talking, and um, they just ask me to start reading this book, and, um, you know, and I had lots of questions, and you end up, so we end up meeting on a regular basis, going through some Bible study. And then also examining the, um, the prophecies. Do you know the Hebrew prophet prophecies about the Messiah? No, you know I don't. I don't know. You know, but these, what do you know? You know, well, the Messiah comes. There's supposed to be peace. And that's a common Jewish belief today. Uh, an easy way for Jewish people to dismiss Jesus as the Messiah is to say, look out the window, turn on the TV. Is there peace in the world? Well, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to bring peace. You don't see peace, no Messiah. Case closed. End of discussion. I mean, it's that straightforward for them. However, when you look into the Jewish scriptures and even rabbinic tradition, there's a lot more written about this Messiah than just that. And that's not something I was taught. Um, but you can go to Jewish sources and you can look at the... So I had to, you know, get a, a, a whole Bible and start to look at these things for myself. <laughs> so it took Jews for Jesus guy to get you in your Bible? Yes. And the Jewish scriptures? Yeah, amen. How about that, right? <laughs> So, I mean, I knew the stories, but I never, I didn't study. I mean, you know, the Torah would be the first by books and a lot of the stories to some degree, but I wasn't familiar with the prophecies. Isaiah 53, you know, you, 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 pull, you pull out Isaiah 53 on anyone that doesn't know about Jesus, and you say, read this, and you ask them, who does that sound like? They will say, this sounds like Jesus. But yet, it's written by Isaiah like 700 years before Jesus. So, and then they say, well, wait a minute. What, are you serious? How can this be? And it's just a real eye opener. That's a, probably the number one passage that gets Jewish people to really think or to open their mind to who, who is this really about. Have you ever seen the, the videos on YouTube? There's uh, they're in Israel mm -hmm. and the one for Israel. Is, is that what and they interview it? these different people that have come to faith? No, no. Uh, I, I like those also, but there's a guy. He's a street evangelist. And he goes around and, and has the, the Torah and says, can I read something for or, oh, Actually, no. it's not the Torah, but because he's reading in Isaiah 53. Uh -huh. And it's just going through Israel and they say, okay, who does that sound like? Right. And Jewish people, including Orthodox people, and right. they, they say, well, it, it, the, the Orthodox say, well, it sounds like Jesus, right. but it, can, it can't be. No, right. Yeah. It can't be. So the general interpretation of that passage, when you read through it, about the suffering servant, they say it's about Israel. And so there's an easy way to try to, to try to change the direction of meaning of this passage. And it's a fair point to raise because the servant is called Israel. Um, but it's clearly messianic. It's been interpreted that way in, in rabbinic teaching. But also, it can't be Israel when you go through it because it says specifically in there that the servant is righteous 
and he's done nothing wrong. And it also says the servant is going to be punished. And so if Israel is righteous under the law of Moses, they are promised blessing. And if they are not righteous, they're promised a curse. So if they're righteous, it would be a violation of the Torah in order for that passage to be about Israel. Because how could they suffer and be punished if they haven't done anything wrong? It would, it would contradict with the first five books. And the that's interesting. Law, and yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, so that's the way out of this. And this is argumentation, right? So the person raises, oh, yeah, but what about this? You know, so this is really the, that's the way out of that. And, and who would be the hour if he's bruised, bruised for us? Right. If, I mean, there's if it's problems, Israel. right? Yeah. So there's you start to go through it, and you you realize they could say it's it's one part of Israel, the righteous part. You know, they, they believe me, they got an answer. Yeah. And so, so don't be surprised if you talk to someone about it. It's, it's trained in what they call being an anti-missionary. Or, but anyway, um, they're going to have an answer. They're going to have something. But you know, you dig in deeper, you find this isn't going to work. What you're saying. So you you got started getting in the Bible, mm-hmm. and what, what happened next? It's making sense, you know, like uh, I'm read, uh, you know, I'm reading the New Testament and I got this great, they gave me, it was an NIV, uh, there's some someone that published an NIV uh, New Testament, but they put in the name, they put in Yeshua the Messiah instead of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is just a hard word to hear, two words to hear uh, for a Jewish person. It's a curse word, basically. Uh, that's something that like when you watch a movie or something, and they start blaspheming. I mean, that's that's how that was used, and so it's not a comfortable term in English, you know, to, to my ears to hear Jesus Christ. So Yeshua, the Messiah, though that that just I don't know was much easier to read for me, and and so anyway, so I'm reading through it. You're starting to see this is all these people are all Jewish, and it's making sense. It's making sense, and it's also it's like this Jesus guy is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I, I'm thinking, do Christians read this book? This is amazing, the stuff he's saying and the stuff he's doing, you know. And I had no idea. No, I mean, 25 years old at the time, never read anything in the New Testament. And I think this is really, this is pretty good. But I'm, I'm Jewish. I don't believe in Jesus. You know? And so I was able to get uh, some material from Jews, from Jude, Jews for Judaism. Jews for Judaism is anti-missionaries. And the guy that was leading, you know, was, was meeting with me, he had one, a tape, a cassette tape. This was in the 90s, a cassette tape with a fold-out cover that had all the arguments. And he didn't want to give it to me. I don't think he was supposed to give it to me, but I found out that he had it. And I said, I, I gotta, I have to hear the other side. I mean, how in the world can I make a decision like this if I don't hear both sides of the story? Like, I've come up with everything I could come up with, but I don't, I'm not professional. I'm not a rabbi. I'm not trained. You know what I mean? So... Um, he, he was a little reluctant, but he was willing. He was, he, and he let me listen to this tape. And man, I was so relieved when I listened to this tape. I, I agree with whatever this guy says, because it was all about how the New Testament's not true, Jesus isn't the Messiah, argument after argument. And it, wonderful. I don't want to be, what do I want to be a Christian for? You know, so. Are, are you uh, counting the cost at this point also? Well, yeah. I mean, this isn't going to go well if I start telling my parents, oh, I'm reading the New Testament. Oh, I'm going to be a, you know, my Christian. It's not going to be a good, it's not going to go well. So, and that's not something, you know, I was very much a, and can be sort of a people pleaser, want people to be happy, I want my parents to be happy and proud of me, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's how they, they were. I was really, had a really supportive family. I'm very grateful, loved my parents. It really, um, they were just a real blessing. I'm really thankful for them. And I look up to them in a lot of ways. But I said, I don't want to disappoint them. But I'm committed to the truth. I'm going wherever the truth is going to take me. But I don't want to go. So I got this tape. 
I feel like I'm off the hook, you know? And man, the guy, we, we slowly went through everything this tape said, all the argumentation, and it was stuff about the original Hebrew. You, you and the guy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Stephen Katz, uh, who's still a friend and still in Jews for Jesus today. And uh, he went through with me all these uh, okay. things. Okay, I, I, lost, I lost you for a second. Okay. So uh, the tape was from Jews from... Jews from Judaism. Jews from Judaism. And, and my you... friend, it's, it's in the mission, in the ministry, Jews for Jesus. Okay. He's got a copy of it. Okay. And I'm saying to him, because I'm in California, I'm from Baltimore. I can have, there's no rabbi, I'm not, there's no synagogue out there. I don't know anyone. I mean, there are there, but I, don't, I never got plugged into some community there. So I don't know what the answers are to these things. I know that someone's got answers. So these are the trained professionals that put forward their strong arguments, you know. And they start arguing stuff in Hebrew and stuff. But I'm not a scholar. I mean, I don't know these things. But we start to look up the very things this man is saying. And it's just not, it's just not as... It's not the way he presents it. You know, there's an argument over Isaiah 7 that says, uh, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son who shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? So virgin, they argue over this word. It doesn't mean virgin. It means young woman. Well, there's a different. There's two different words in Hebrew. And it just becomes this argumentation in the language. That's, but when you go through it and you study it yourself and you look at where these words are used and what's understood here in this passage, he presented, the anti-missionary presents an argument saying, this cannot mean this. And it's a, just a Christian mistranslation. Those are the kind of, that's the way they talk. It's very strong. It's very confident, very powerful. The way they present their arguments as the fact and that this is just a, just a lame translation and a, just a twisting of the scriptures to steal souls. That's kind of how they say it. And, but when you go through what their arguments are, it's just not the case. And I really felt like this person undermined their credibility and, I lost a lot of respect for them because I felt like this is their job and they must, if they don't know the counter arguments and the details of this argument, then they're bad at their job or they're willfully leaving things out Yeah, is, is more or less where it ends up. And so we go through every single thing on this tape and it's just not the way the guy said it. And I was really stunned. This is not what I was expecting. I, f- I find that to be one of the most convincing things for me with, with Jesus. And when Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas doubts Jesus, mm. and you know you. We're so used to it. What Thomas is doing is is, is ridiculous. Mm. His best <laughs> friends are telling him exactly. Jesus rose from the dead. Exactly what Jesus told him. Right. And then he's like, "No, I'm not. I'm not going to believe it." I, right. I, it. It's he's being ridiculous. And, <laughs> That's great. But when Jesus shows up, he, he doesn't get mad at Thomas. Mm. He puts out his hands and his side and says, come on, I can handle your doubt. Right. So back to Isaiah, come let us reason. Yeah. And I think that when we we lay out the truth of Jesus, I think it's important to to say what we know and what we don't know. Where there's good arguments in certain scriptures and where there's not. Right. It's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. We don't have to sugarcoat things or, or brush over things or leave things out. Or make or overstate our case, and we can also say, look it up for yourself. Yeah, and that's the th- and that was the other thing that this friend did was he was he always had this to me it was bizarre confidence that I was going to become a believer, and I didn't understand why he was so sure I was going to become a believer. And he said, because you're looking for the truth, and I didn't really know the truth, yeah. and, and that's what you're going to find. And I just was really surprised by that. That, that that's a definite commonality that I've found. It, particularly among Calvary chapels. Mm. People are real seekers of truth. And both my my wife and I 
are don't I'm a lawyer by training, so it's kind of secondary to me, but it's also my personality. Mm. I, I always knew that there was something wrong growing up, growing up in a dysfunctional house. I knew there was something wrong, and I, I knew there was something missing. And when going to different churches, I knew something was wrong. Mm. And it wasn't until I heard the, the, the simple Bible preached simply that I, it, you know, things kind of exploded, and I realized right. that's exactly what is wrong. Amen. That, that's not the word. His opinion, rituals, that's not the word. Right. We, we want to get to Jesus. So I'm in that position. I'm realizing, all right, I think this is true, and I've tried so hard to get out of it. Well, how could you believe in, what about the Trinity, or this triune nature of God, and what about, um, you know, Jewish people just don't believe this, and, you know, just all going through all these different, just your standard, how can you know the Bible's true, how can you trust it, we're going to get all these questions. So we go through, I'm reading Josh McDowell's books, and, what Josh McDowell book did you read? I had read evidence that uh, more than a carpenter prior to all this happening, and someone gave it to me, and I promptly put that down after I read the Lord Liar Lunatic argument. I was I felt so trapped by it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I don't, I get what he's saying here. I don't know how to get out of this one. But I don't have to think about this right now, and I just put that one away. But that was pretty good. <laughs> the like, oh. other, <laughs> yeah. So that was a good book, and then I and then evidence that demands a verdict was really helpful because it was how do I know this is true and how do I know you know this was, hand this has been handed down right and what's the right translation all that stuff. So it was really good to have some help walking through that. And then uh, I stayed home from school. I didn't go to uh, synagogue, but I was home from school. I was in California on Yom Kippur Day of Atonement. Before you go on, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, on my my blog, I did a. Uh, an intro to kind of this argument was Jesus a, a real person? Oh, okay. And I was surprised at, at how much evidence there is. Mm. And I, I was a history major in college. Mm. I was a I studied Roman history. Oh, really? And when I actually looked at it, I, I really I realized I picked up a lot of the cultural bias in in between, and that had never get back to it. Because so many people say you, you, you can't prove Jesus, right? You right, can't prove Jesus, right. and there's there's you know it's all about faith. But if you actually go back on it and look at it, it's overwhelming. It's even most non-Christian historians agree that there was a man named Jesus right. crucified under Pontius Pilate. Mm. There's Roman writings within about sixty years, seventy years that say Pontius Pilate killed Jesus. Real, it's really hard if you are an honest historian to say there's no Jesus right. from that and then just the effects on, on culture. Right. There was some truth mixed in there. And so are there some discrepancies in the manuscripts? Yeah. You know, mostly it's like plural or singular or misspelling or, I mean, the vast majority of any kind of discrepancy that we may have with early manuscripts are meaningless. Or if they have any kind of an issue, it, they're nothing to do with main doctrine. Or the historicity of Jesus, or things like that, and yeah. so you know he takes these minor issues and then extrapolate them into major issues, and it's like you can't—that's a leap that's just not there. And, and it's not historically sound, right? Because you, you, we can trace the, the doctrines, we can trace the right. the documents, we can trace Jesus and, and his uh, as it reaches around the world. He's just saying we we don't know, therefore right. you can't trust Jesus. Right. That's like saying can't say that the civil, the civil war occurred right right because there's they differences in, in different le letters right. from the soldiers from the battlefield but see now this is what this is interesting and this is sort of the problem to call it a problem but you know if you 
I'm not a Civil War historian, but I bet if you got 10 books on the Civil War, you'd at least find one that's just got some kind of totally alternate theory out there that contradicts the others, and they've got some little bits of confirmation as far as they're concerned, confirmation. It's a conspiracy theory or whatever. And so that's, that's very common today just in our world where people get some little bits of info. It's like ice to Jesus, right? They've already got their theory. They find some little statements that support whatever it is they already believe in, and they make a big deal out of it. And it's like, but that's not really what happened. You know? yeah. and that's, so we shouldn't be totally surprised, I think, if people do that with the, with the, with the Bible and with the so, gospel. So you're reading the, the books. How, how does it hit home? How, how, what changes? Well, I'm, so I'm, I'm reading, I, I'm, I stay home and I read Leviticus 17. I'm going over the Day of Atonement. Right? You need two scapegoats, you need bulls, you need blood, you need an altar, you need a temple, you need a priest, you need a holy of holies, you got to have an ark. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you need in order to have what? Forgiveness and atonement. It doesn't say there's some other way. Well, if you don't have them, do this. It doesn't, there's nothing like that. You know? And the only reason the temple falls is like, it's a, it's a horrible curse, you know? So the only way that you can be forgiven for sin, especially as a nation, really, and individually, is, is through the sacrificial system. But we don't have it. It hasn't been up since 70 AD, gone. This is a, that's a big problem. And I'm, so I'm just staring at the scriptures. This is the way that it's done. So let me jump in here for sure, a second. Sure, sure. So you're on the Day of Atonement, mm-hmm. Yom Kippur. Is, 1995. We, we, we yeah. know it. And looking at what the Bible says, because this is a theory that I've had for a while, and I, I don't know if we've talked about it before, I, I, that God took away the temple in 70 AD mm-hmm. to provide no way out mm. for, for Jesus. For no way out for those who are contemplating Jesus, because if the temple was still there, right. you you would be able to avoid the argument and say, "I'll just go to the temple." Right. Well, this is the Book of Hebrews, in a sense. This is what seems to be the situation with the Hebrews. They're they're kind of saying, "Look, things are so difficult right now. We're going to renounce Jesus and just go back to Temple Judaism." Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because we don't. We're tired of being persecuted. It's horrible what they're going through. It's just seems miserable. They've lost everything. They're threatened. It's affecting their lives and their family. And what's the writer's point? You can't. You can't do it. You know. But what a difficult struggle to see the temple up and running. That it, it's always been there. It's just exactly what your point. I think, which is great. It's so there. That generation is having such a hard time conceiving the fact that they don't. This place isn't necessary anymore. It would be. So, it's so. It's like you know. You have LP records and CDs, and someone says, "Hey, you can put all of your music on this little device in the MP3 form." And you're thinking, "I've got CDs and LPs. What are you talking about? What's MP3?" Like the whole <laughs> idea that you would transition to some other format is insane. What, I, I did that. <laughs> yeah, right. So every a lot of people at first you balk at it. I think it's the same thing for them. They're they're living under this system, and then you're saying something's happened. And but without it, their hand is forced much much more clearly. And and in Judaism, they convert to you know more the synagogue and, and rabbi, because they're you know post temple Judaism. That's the decision they have to deal with that issue too. No more temple. And uh, that's uh, I know that's a, a struggle for lots of people who leave the, the Mormon faith. The comfort of that system, even when they don't don't believe it, right? The comfort of the the temple, the comfort of the the familiar, is, is so strong, and wow. the cost of leaving is is so high that, yeah. that they're. A lot of them are still there, even though they don't believe. Right, right, so, and yeah, and so, and I, to me, it's like, look, if good 
and faithful and learned people can come up with a system to try to approach God and he has good things in it, repentance and doing good deeds and prayer. And these are biblical and good things. The only problem is it's not what God said. Yeah. And so when you're faced with the text, it's a major problem. And then the other thing you have is the New Testament. And, you, you know, I'm reading it and saying, man, this, this, this makes a lot of sense. This is a perfect, seamless, it fits together. This is everything Jesus is claiming to fulfill and accomplish. And the Hebrew Bible attests to it, prophesies that this is what the Messiah would do. And so that was it. It was on that day I just I said, all right, it's true. I, I accept it. That was it. I, I just felt cornered. I really had no, I tried everything. I just tried to get out of it. I didn't really want, I had no interest in being a Christian, but I couldn't, I couldn't find a way out. I mean, in the sense that it all was true. And that was it. The Lord just got me. It sounds so ridiculous because, and, and I'm smiling here because that, that, me too. Mm. I, I had no interest in, right. in, until I was absolutely, and I tried everything else mm. before. I tried the, the dumbest things. <laughs> Oh, do tell us, Tom, some of the dumb things. <laughs> uh, you don't have to tell us all of them. Yeah. Yeah. But, and it's just, if I look back, I'm like, I was searching, I was trying to avoid what I knew was true. Yeah. Because yeah, I didn't want to, in my case, I didn't want to give up drinking. If anything else allowed me to find peace without giving up drinking, I would have done that. Right. And, or that wouldn't stop me from destroying myself without giving up drinking. And without actually, what's what's the issue? Submission. Right. You have to, if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, then you have to, to say he is Lord and I am not. You know, and I think you, you would assume when people hit rock bottom or they're in a terrible crisis that maybe they're either more open or maybe it seems, I don't know if you'd say it's easier because it's just more obvious how we've ruined our lives in those situations, but or just doing such a bad job of leading our lives. But you know, I didn't, I felt like, you know, my life was good and I, you know, drinking and drugs and, um, but you know, I, my family was nice. I had good friends. I was, I had a good life. I wasn't really, I wasn't having a crisis. You know, I wasn't like looking to make a change, but it is like, it can get you anywhere. I mean, yeah. the Lord, it's, this was so great. So did, did you know it immediately? I mean, did, did you, I have two stages in my life, but once, once where, when I became a believer and then one when kind of. I think the Holy Spirit just baptized me mm. in a different way. Yeah. Uh, I think I was indwelled with the Holy Spirit, but when my spiritual life really kind of came to life in a very different way. Did, did that happen to you immediately or did yeah, it over no. time? No, I was definitely a believer, but I, I was still caught in so much sin. But, I, you know, it's a situation where you just, you're not enjoying it as much because you're guilty. You feel guilty all the time. And so the conviction... Uh, started to come for the things that I was involved with and doing, but um, I didn't really get free from those things for a while. You know, it really, um, so it was kind of like stages for me of just kind of fighting those things with the Lord, knowing that it was true, but just not really. The total submission was definitely not there. But over time, you know, being discipled and being in the Word, and the Lord just you know, cleaned me up. But it wasn't an overnight uh, success in that sense. So total submissions here now, right? No, you know, I'm at least a goal of submission for the things that I was so clearly knowing were wrong. And that's yeah. the thing. So I'm doing these things that I just know are wrong and it, and God's convicting me over it and I'm just fighting and, and losing and uh, badly with no, in, not a, anyway, it just, it took a while for the Lord to change me. I'm not, I'm not perfect by any means or totally anything. That's the Lord, that's always the joke about that song. 
I surrender all. Yeah. I surrender almost all. Sometimes I sing that. <laughs> Lord, I want to surrender all. That's what I say. I want to surrender all. I'm not I, sure I, I'm surrendering. I intend to surrender yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a work in progress with that song. So when did you uh, start doing a Calvary Chapel church? Somehow, soon after I became a believer, uh, I think it was the guy that I that had, that had given my name to, to Jews for Jesus. Somehow I got in, I got in touch with him, and then he, I think it was him, and he said, you ought to listen to this guy, John Corson, and uh, he was a Calvary pastor up in Oregon, and you could order uh, CDs, like, twice like his Wednesday night study and Sunday morning or I don't know two, two studies of the week they had them on CD and they, you could just buy them they would mail them to you you know I started listening to John Corson and uh teaching verse by verse through the Bible and it was just random I, I feel like this whole verse by verse through the Bible thing which I'm so grateful for it wasn't like I was so smart and I realized suddenly this is the be best way to, to do church or whatever someone just said here listen to this and it was like oh, okay I didn't know there was another way to do it. I didn't know that there was something else besides teaching verse by verse through the Bible. And so I started listening to this guy, and uh, it was just a real blessing. He was really my pastor for years, and I never even met him. And then, you know, I came back here just being discipled by someone. And, and then I met Kim, and we were looking around at some churches. But then uh, Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City uh, formed, and we found out about it and just started going early on. And that was it. That's what I was looking for, but there just wasn't one around me. So when, when did you feel first feel a call to plant a church? It wasn't, it wasn't for a long time. I got some chances to do some ministry things. My, my first ministry thing was, hey, could you help set up chairs for church? Uh, sure. And that was, my, that was my introduction to ministry. And then I got a couple of chances to teach and get involved. And I got involved uh, volunteering for Jews for Jesus later on, teaching in churches to pass Christ in the Passover. And those are all good experiences. But Dan, later, as that was all happening, he started to say things to me like, why don't you go and plant a church? And I just like, wanted to get rid of me. And I, you know, I don't, I never thought, I was like, I, what do you mean? I don't know how to do that. But yeah, and um, this is Dan Sexton, pastor of yeah. Calvary Chapel, Elegant City. Yeah, he kept encouraging me, why don't you go do this? And, I was like, I, and then eventually um, it became a serious thought in my mind because I really didn't even consider it as an option. And, um, some different opportunities came up to get more involved in ministry, and this was closed doors, closed door, and then this opportunity came up to start a Bible study out in uh, Timonium, Cockeysville area. It was six months later, it was we started a Sunday service. So, Calvary Chapel Morning Light, right? Mm -hmm. And what, what is the website address there? CalvaryMorningLight.org. And, and how do you enjoy being a pastor? I honestly can't believe I get to teach... Uh, study and teach the Bible. I am so, I love the word of God and I love getting to try to, to teach it and uh, understand it and to share it with people and to see people grow in their faith, you know, as a result. Um, it, it's just a blessing. So I'm just so grateful you know, to get to serve God this way. It's really. Thanks for listening to episode number one of the Pastor Unlikely podcast with my guest, Jason Meyerson, pastor of Calvary Chapel Morning Light in Cockeysville, Maryland. If you want to reach Pastor Jason, you can contact him through morninglight.org, or Jason is also a chiropractor in his tent-making business, getadjusted.org. 
or you can just look up Jason Meyerson Chiropractor Maryland, and I'm sure Jason would be happy to answer any questions. Just some takeaways from from that episode. I really love sitting down with Jason and talking about faith and his his story. I found it amazing that the Jews for Jesus missionary simply called him out of the blue from a suggestion from a friend. I know I struggle with sometimes looking too much for smooth openings uh, to discuss Jesus rather than simply remembering my, that I am just the messenger of the gospel. I'm not the one who works on hearts. I'm not the one who changes minds. That's the Holy Spirit. He goes before me to prepare the ground and to pre- prepare the heart for the message. Things do not have to be perfectly aligned in order to talk to people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit may be working where we least suspect it. In this case, in a a self-admitted argumentative person of the Jewish faith. So that's it for episode number one. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you will tell a friend because our goal is to make disciples of all nations and reaching them wherever they are. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Thank you for joining us and God bless.